First of all, I think it's gotten worse in the last five years. I mean, in 2017, Boulder had double the number of shelter beds. Most people don't realize this. It was a conscious decision of the city to cut the number of shelter beds in half and to get rid of these low barrier shelters where you could show up as you were and as long as you weren't being violent, you'd be taken in and given a safe place to sleep. When they're turned away, they're given a blanket so they can survive overnight. And the irony of it is that it's against the city's law for them to use the bank blanket to cover themselves to survive when they're turned away from the shelter because it's full. You know, if a patient's in the hospital and they need surgery, you wouldn't have a community meeting to decide what the best way to do the surgery is. You know, you would ask a surgeon, uh, maybe ask two surgeons to give their ideas and have a conference and then come up with a plan. In Houston and in other cities, you know, the city governments have been eager for that, have been eager for coalitions of service providers to come inform the city about the best ways and the things to fund to move people off the streets, out of encampments, into safe places. Hello, Boulder and the wider world. This is the Sharing Boulder podcast. My name is Philip Bogren, and for episode 44, I spoke with Dan Williams, who is a civil rights lawyer who has worked on issues related to homelessness in Boulder. We talked about a recent effort by a consortium of service providers who got together and created a detailed proposal for providing low barrier services. This proposal was submitted to city council and was sidelined in favor of a city process which has emphasized community feedback over expert opinion. I admire Dan for his tenacious advocacy for helping bring meaningful solutions for homelessness in our community and for his historical perspective that helps us understand how we got to where we are now. Dan pulls no punches in this short but informative interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Dan Williams. We ain't throwing starfish here, now we're having a good party. Talking about structural change. We believe the land is sacred, even beneath that vacant parking lot. But the weeds are doing their best to express the need for something different. Gonna make some space for you and me to live here all together. Gonna make it safe and fun for kids to get around the town. Find me a residential pedestrian district where I can gracefully grow older. Gonna spend my remaining years sharing Boulder. Programming note. To the listeners who consider themselves audiophiles, and perhaps even those who don't, it may be painfully obvious that this episode was not edited by Katie Avery, who has edited the last four episodes. If you appreciate the higher quality of the recent episodes, then please send me a note that I can share with her. The podcast has recently gotten more expensive to produce, and I am contemplating ways to accept donations for producing the podcast. Stay tuned. Dan, uh, welcome back to Sharing Bullard. So uh, it's nice to have you back on the show. Um, please take a minute to introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Dan Williams. I'm a lawyer here in Boulder. Um, lived here for about 16, 17 years. Uh, I work on just a broad range of litigation, including civil rights litigation, I've uh, dealt a lot with issues around homelessness and police interactions with uh, marginalized groups in, in Boulder and elsewhere. Uh, we, we spoke before when I was running for city council in 2021, did not prevail on my race, but uh, so here I am continuing to practice law. 
Great. Well, thank you for your service. Um, this is, you know, the way we talked about this is this this is supposed to be a mini episode. We'll see if we can uh, keep it short or not. I, I don't really have a time constraint, but um, yeah, we had kind of a focused thing we want to talk about today. Um, and this came up most recently at uh, Waylon Lewis's uh, campaign launch party. He was he was talking about an article he had read in probably the New York Times about Houston and the way they have tackled homelessness. And he was saying that, that the secret sauce that Houston discovered is that if you can get all of your service providers in the same room and get them communicating and collaborating and, you know, uh, helping each other out. I, I, I didn't actually take time to read the article, I'm sorry. Um, but that uh, it's, um, you know, it's, it, that was their secret sauce. That was what made the, the help them make progress on this issue in their city. And uh, so I was standing next to you when he was uh, t um, summarizing that article, and I was like, "Well, is this is this possible?" You know, and um, and you're like, "Yeah, this is." Uh, well, yeah, I don't know if you said yes or no. You were just like, "I've got lots to say about this," uh, and so um, honestly, I just want to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, for at least the last three or four years. So many people have expressed so many views in Boulder about what to do about homelessness, and people come at it from different perspectives. Um, you know, my own view is we should talk to people who have expertise in, in helping people move out of homelessness and in actually, um, you know, addressing the problems that have people living unsheltered or living without permanent stable places. Um, and what was happening in Boulder, I guess, shortly after the last election, so in January of 2022, there was a thought that this new city council might really want to start tackling homelessness in innovative ways and in new ways that hadn't been done. The service providers in town typically had not acted as a cohesive group in terms of coming up with policy suggestions. So there are about half a dozen organizations in town that work with people who are unhoused. And um, I was asked to help facilitate some meetings of that group to see if that group could come up with a consensus proposal to submit to the city for a, uh, a day shelter and additional night sheltering options that are so-called low barrier. So, you know, what does that mean? A low barrier shelter is a shelter where, you know, People may not love that someone is is drunk or on drugs, but the idea is, well, it's still safer to have them sleeping in a safe place indoors. So we're going to have a shelter where people are who they are, they have the problems that they have, and there's a safe place for them to show up and maybe, you know, get some food and, and wash and be taken care of. Uh, and that's actually a recognition that, that getting out of homelessness is a process. Um, and, you know, the first step isn't the last step. So the first step may just be going to a shelter. And then the next step might be getting sober or reconnecting with family. Uh, but, you know, you meet people where they are. So anyway, this group of providers said, look, if this council is really interested in, in doing something new, meeting people where they are, why don't we just submit a proposal to them that they could just fund? Um, so we did. You know, we spent two days. This was a group that had very different viewpoints, which quite honestly, there were some parts of the group where there was a lack of trust. 
and it took a lot of work. Between um, with members of different organizations. Yeah, of, right, executive directors of different organizations. And, you know, the first step really was talking about what brought everyone to the work. Why did each of these executive directors dedicate their professional life to working with unhoused people? And then moving on from there, how could we design something that would be um, just a, a great asset, a place for people to be at night and a place for people to be during the day. Uh, and over the course of two days, we hashed out a very detailed proposal, um, submitted it to city council, emailed it to the members of council, to the city's department of human services, to the city manager, to a few others. That's a, that's a public document then that exists somewhere. Um, it is, yep. I'd, for... and I'd be happy to share it with you or with anyone else. Um, you know, the hope was that council would um, adopt it, would, would fund it. It was, you know, it was somewhere between one and two million dollars. So not an overwhelming amount of money. Um, certainly the amount of money the city could have found in the budget. You know, what, uh, the, what happened with the plan, much to our disappointment, was you know, essentially nothing. Uh, council, this new council, asked the city staff to review it. I think it didn't align with some of the desires of Boulder's current city staff, specifically uh, the city's um, uh, human services department, you know, didn't want to cede this control to the provider community. And instead they sent out a request for proposals of their own with their own vision, which wasn't the vision shared by the provider community. And, you know, not surprisingly, they got a very, very tepid reaction. No one submitted a proposal to do what the human services department, you know, um, asked for proposals for. One person had a proposal to do just a small portion of it. Uh, nothing happened, nothing got funded, and, and that was the end of it. But I think what, what we were talking about at Waylands and what I thought was interesting about it was that in Houston and in other cities, you know, the city governments have been eager for that, have been eager for coalitions of service providers to come inform the city about the best ways and the things to fund to move people off the streets, out of encampments, into safe places. But in Boulder, that was stymied by a sense that either the city staff or its councils knew better even though you know they really frankly weren't specialists in the area and the net result has been essentially no change in the last two years well it's um it, it's a it's a difficult problem right and you were talking about before we hit the record button about how you know everyone comes at this with strong opinions and strong emotional response to their experiences with homeless people and they they show up with ideas about how to solve it and it's like um i don't know a lot there's a lot of hubris around like how easy it should be to solve it right and or, or what the obvious path is and um I, I mean it makes a lot of sense to me to um get the experts in one room and ask them what's working and what's not working and see if they can collaborate better and you know like ask their opinion about what they need and what kind of support the city could give them so uh, it, <laughs> what's next <laughs> for, for this? Yeah, so I mean, I think the one thing the council did do shortly after the proposal was submitted was um, say they wanted to launch a process to establish a, a day center. 
So that was in January of 2022, and you know here we are in September of 2023. What the city's process was was that sort of um, you know throw it open to everybody for their ideas. The city held a ton of focus groups and community meetings, and really talked to a lot of non-experts and tried to find a, a compromise plan and. Um, you know, I don't think it yielded a, uh, uh, it certainly didn't yield a solution that was actionable because here we are, my, the latest information I have is that there's no date for opening of a day shelter. There is a plan, but, um, there's an know, address still, right? There was, there was that no longer, uh, is available. I don't know what caused that to fall through, but no. So, um, no, it, there, as I say, there are plans and ideas, but we still, a year and 10 months later, uh, or a year and nine months later, do not have a day shelter, and we don't have a date for an opening of a day shelter. And frankly, today, we don't even have a location for a day shelter. And I think it's sort of like, you know, if a patient's in the hospital and they need surgery, you wouldn't have a community meeting to decide what the best way to do the surgery is. You know, you would ask a surgeon, uh, maybe ask two surgeons to, give their ideas and have a conference and then come up with a plan. But that hasn't been the approach Boulder has adopted. Boulder's adopted an approach where they want to give everybody, you know, a crowdsourced uh, plan. And that is ultimately, I think, ineffective for these really tough problems like homelessness, like open heart surgery. They're not things that are better handled via crowdsourcing. So, um, you know, so. It, it's disappointing to me that Boulder hasn't been able to be more nimble. I think part of that is, you know, you look at what Mike Johnston's doing in Denver. You know, very interesting. I mean, he was just elected over the uh, first half of the summer, declared a statewide or a citywide emergency on homelessness, uh, declared that he was going to establish a thousand places for people, a thousand residences for people uh, by the end of the calendar year, whether that be in um, safe outdoor spaces, pallet shelters, whether that be in a hotel that the city is buying to convert or otherwise. It's a very, very ambitious plan. And one thing that would not work is if Denver said, before we do anything, before we buy a hotel and convert it, before we set up a site. buy-in from everybody who might have uh, an opinion about this. Right. There's no way that in six months or three months you could create a thousand indoor places for people to sleep. And I think people in Boulder lose sight of the opportunity cost of our system of crowdsourcing each of these decisions. Because the opportunity cost is for the last almost two years, people are sleeping outside with nowhere to go. You know, 200 people a year go to the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless up in North Boulder and are turned away because it's at capacity typically in the winter. And when they're turned away, they're given a blanket so they can survive overnight. And the irony of it is that it's against the city's law for them to use the bank blanket to cover themselves to survive when they're turned away from the shelter because it's full. So I get that it's it's helpful to, to get community buy-in on issues, but when that's, when the cost of that is literally people freezing to death, like we have year over year in Boulder, to me, that cost is too high, and this is an issue that demands action. Yeah, well, um, I would I would just correct you on one thing. It's like it's been more than two years. I mean, I know what you're saying, some two years yeah. since this the proposal, but you know, like I was thinking the other day, like 
my kids have always known homelessness in Boulder. You know, they've been they've grown up here since I've been in Boulder uh, since 2002. It's always been part of the fabric of the city. It's like part of the character of the city. It's like we've just we've just sort of like accepted it that it, that every year we're gonna we're gonna argue about it and um, hold hold our positions on it and. Uh, we have this analysis paralysis and you know, I, I don't know. It's like it's very um, and I, I know I know there's lots of things that people are trying to do um, Aaron Brockett talked about the care program, which will be a non uh, police response and I don't know what's holding that up, but it sounds like there's some staffing, you know, finding the right kind of staffing is difficult and um, I want to be hopeful that that program can be effective uh, I also want to be hopeful that, you know, maybe this coalition that you mentioned can turn around and, and try again with the next city council. Is, is there any any uh, buzz about that possibility? You know, those discussions haven't happened yet, but I will say that the people who dedicate their lives to working with unsheltered, unhoused people, um, they do it because they care. And I, I don't think it would be that hard to reassemble the group or whatever the current group looks like in early 2024 and say yeah you know we have new people on council you know it's time let's do this again but i think with boulder in specific you know there are a lot of myths that boulder tells itself that has it except the homeless crisis that we've had here for so long first of all i think it's gotten worse in the last five years i mean in 2017 boulder had double the number of shelter beds most people don't realize this it was a conscious decision of the city to cut the number of shelter beds in half and to get rid of these low barrier shelters where you could show up as you were and as long as you weren't being violent, you'd be taken in and given a safe place to sleep. You know, the idea was we want to force people into um, services and the way to do that is essentially through tough love. Uh, and we're going to you know, have a limited number of shelter beds and put our resources into other affordable housing programs. and. You know, the net result has been many, many, many more people living outside in, in Central Park and in, you know, the watersheds around Boulder. And it's, I think there's general consensus around the city that we're worse off than we were. But these myths that we tell ourselves about why people are sleeping outside are, you know, I think one of the reasons we don't work harder to change this quickly. So, you know, one of them is you hear that and you hear it because the police department says it and the city government says it, that people are sleeping outside because they're service resistant. And one thing I think is interesting about that is that in Denver, they actually did a survey to find out, you know, why are people not going to shelters? Why are people sleeping outside? And what they found is that about 90% of unhoused people in Denver would rather be housed. Some of them say shelters don't work for me, you know, for lots of reasons. I have a partner. I can't sleep with my partner at the shelter. Um, I'm scared to be in a giant room of bunk beds. That's not something I, you know, can can do. But I would rather be inside. I mean, I would rather be, you know, in a tiny home, in a tent, in an apartment, in a, a sanctioned campground. I don't, I don't want to be just unsheltered outside. I have a pet. So that might be why I don't want to go to a shelter. Yeah. Other people, um, you know, so there is a small group that probably doesn't want to get any help, but 90%, I mean, the vast majority do not want to be living, living rough, living outside unsheltered. 
in Boulder, you know, maybe Denver is unique, but I heard from the director of Boulder Shelter for the Homeless virtually the same statistic. I, he said, I think it was 85% was his statistic of people would rather be inside than, than living rough than sleeping outside with, with nowhere to live, nowhere to be. So that's one myth that, you know, we tell ourselves that allows us to walk on Boulder Creek path and just say, you know, this isn't our fault that people are living like this. This is their fault. They just won't take the help that's there. So, you know, that's not true. You know, the other myth is that Boulder has just a huge range of services to help people who are homeless. You know, there are services in Boulder, which is great, but one service there isn't is housing. I mean, you know, if you, if you say, why, why is someone living outside? I mean, Boulder, we're not a community that provides housing opportunities for the, you know, roughly, the city just did a survey last July and found around 175 people sleeping unsheltered. We're not a city that has a place for those 175 people to be. We should be. We could be. You know, I think there's this idea that why should Boulder um, do more? Yeah. And that we do, given that we, you know, we do more than some cities. You know, we may do more than, you know, to pick on a city, um, you know, than, let's say, uh, Louisville. Okay. Um, why should we do more than Louisville? I mean, part of the answer is you look at the data on what drives homelessness. And there's certain things that correlate with homelessness, like mental illness, like substance abuse, but what actually drives it? Because you have substance abuse, take a state like West Virginia, where you know the, the um, ground zero of the opium crisis, opioid crisis, yep. they didn't have a homelessness crisis like we have. What drives homelessness is, is rent prices. So what the data show is for every $100 of rent increases, X number of additional people become homeless. In Boulder, with you know the highest property values around, disproportionately is creating homelessness. So the idea that we should disproportionately address the problem just seems fair. Certainly, the homeowners in Boulder benefit from the you know from the high property values. Pretty they've lived here for some time and they've seen the benefit of that appreciation. But this is an externality. This is the cost. And um, I, I do think it's fair for Boulder to do more to address a problem that, you know, not intentionally, but through what we've created here, through high housing prices that we've created. Well, I wanted you to circle back on that decision that you talked about in 2017. If you could put a little meat or a little detail on what, what happened there. I'd be curious, like in particular, if there were city council candidates that are running now that, uh, I guess I, there's not. I guess there's not many. Aaron and Bob perhaps uh, would have been there in 2017. Um, so yeah, what uh, do you have the details of what happened and how that vote shook out? Yeah, I mean I don't know. Um, I, I I don't know the details of the politics of it. What I do know is that the the direction that was decided was that we need people to go through a coordinated entry program to get any access to any shelter because if we'd send people through this coordinated entry registration pro process, um, you know, the idea is you can keep track of them. And, and I think that the, the idea was a fine one, which is then we can maybe try to help people connect them with services. But the way it's played out is you've just constricted the entry point to get services. Um, I mean, let's take someone who has a substance abuse problem and is, is living outside. Um, I think anyone who knows people with substance abuse 
issues, which is probably most of us, you know, understands that what you want to do with someone with substance abuse is be ready to help them when they're ready to be helped. So, you know, how do you do that? You just create lots of different opportunities for them to accept help. And when they won't accept help, even if that's frustrating, it's, you know, one of the things that, that we just have to learn to accept because, you know, we love them and not accept it like condone it because we don't, but accept it like we know that it's a long process and being there when they're ready is what's critical. So how that applies to coordinated entry is if you're mandating that the only way to have access to support services is through this one entry point that among other things requires you to be sober to enter Boulder Shelter for the Homeless. You're just gonna leave many, many more people disconnected and, and farther and farther away from getting help living outside. You know, the other thought was that um, the solution to homelessness is housing, which is true. Uh, but that led some to say spending money on sheltering is essentially wasting money, that you're, um, you know, essentially spending Thank money you. on band-aids rather than, you know, stitching up the wound. But the problem is we as a city don't have enough housing for all the people who are here. So if we did, it, it might be reasonable to have diverted resources that way, but it's not like someone can go to coordinated entry and get into a tiny home or get into a safe outdoor spaces campsite. Um, or during the winter when it's freezing out, be even guaranteed a, a bed at Boulder Shelter for the homeless. You know, we, we don't have those resources for people. So I think what happened was what started off as a, as a reasonable idea was just implemented, implemented in a way that made the problem worse, not better. Ouch. Well, um, man, that's a, that's a tough lesson to learn because we all, <laughs> we're, we're, all, we're all thinking about it, right? And we're all angry and we all have ideas about what needs to happen next. And um, it's, it's uh, helpful, I think, to at least uh, take a little bit of historical perspective on, on what's occurred here in the city to get to where we are. What, I'm kind of curious, like, um, other than reconvene the, coal, the, the coalition you mentioned earlier and, and uh, um, you know, follow their advice, uh, Maybe, maybe that's the answer, but what, what, what advice would you give to, uh, to Waylon Lewis as he contemplates service on city council if he, gets, if he gets in? Yeah, I mean, there are a few things. One is, you know, a lot of people like to say it's sort of, it's popular now to say, I follow the data. And, yeah. you know, I, I think it's important for us to look at what, where the facts really are. You know, there's a general feeling a lot of people feel insecure in Boulder right now. A lot of people who are housed feel insecure. They feel unsafe when they walk about in town. And that's not, um, obviously people's feelings are valid, but they're not always data driven. And in fact, you know, Boulder has been and remains a, a safe place to live. And it's safer in 2023 than it was in 2022 and it's safer in 2022 than it was in 2021. Things are actually trending in the right direction. Bike thefts are trending down. And I think our politicians don't like to say that because they feel like they're dismissing people's feelings. Yeah. But you know, sometimes we have to be whole, told hard truths. Like I respect how you feel, but it actually doesn't align with the facts. You know, a couple of days ago I had a cough. Well, I, don't, I don't quite understand where you're going right now because yeah. 
you're kind of are you trying to make it sound like hey things are on the right track and and not to worry about it because that was sort of the anecdotes you gave but yeah, I, I don't think, think that's what you're saying i think we can address homelessness without villainizing the people who are living outside yeah and i think people are i think there's a sense among many house people that the people who are living outside are you know criminals who are who are threatening their personal safety and um you know I think for a lot of reasons, it's bad to have people living unsheltered outside. It's not good for them. It's not good for the public places. Uh, and it does lead to some confrontations that are, you know, um, uh, you know, wrong. Um, but the fact is, fundamentally, you know, the, the problem here is that in this land of plenty in one of the wealthiest cities in the country and one of the wealthiest countries in the world, we have so stratified income that you know some people are living with nothing and some people are living with an abundance of riches and we need to as a society look at that and not blame the people who are living with nothing as much as find ladders and find pathways so that people can have places to live and we shouldn't let our you know our fears of others prevent us from from doing the right thing and taking care of each other yeah there's there's a kind of funny i like we tell each other, ourselves all these different narratives, and um, one of them is that, uh, you know, if you if you want to go out and make money, there's sort of like unlimited opportunity to go make lots of money, and the sky's the limit. You could go be a billionaire if you if you hit the market right and do do that thing. And then there's also so there's like like sometimes you get and that kind of falls under this umbrella of like. Um, the prosperity gospel is not quite the right uh, phrase for that, but there's but there's this whole mindset that like the world just has so much to give us and we can take as much as we want, you know, and um, and this this I think gets bantered around in in circles where people want to retire early and uh, they're they're talking about economic growth and how much abundance there is, and then there's also this narrative of like we don't have enough for all these people, we can't we can't you know fund these services like there's just like there's an overwhelming amount of need and there's not nearly enough for that the world can offer and it just feels like um both of those are 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 lies that we that we like to tell ourselves and the truth is it feels like you know bowler has this incredible capacity to to um you know ha it has a very thriving economy and we have a lot of um, ability to provide for a lot of people like yeah sure we can't we can't solve the world's poverty problem but honestly like we could we could probably solve homelessness in Boulder County uh, if, if we set our mind to it right and you know there may be a person who won't come inside but the reality is if we could solve 80% of the problem it would make an enormous difference for people living outside. It would make an enormous difference for the housed people. So, well, I'd love to, you know, get to get to zero unhoused people. Realistically, if we could, you know, knock out 80, 90 percent of the problem, we yeah. will have made the entire community better for for everybody. So, you know, well, that's the that's the 80 20 rule, right, is, uh, you know, like, if we went for 100%, it's going to be a lot more effort than if we go for 80%. Just generally speaking, that's how these things work. But
Right, and let's spend a couple of years doing that, right? And then, yeah. you know, and, then and then two years from steps. now, we can like worry about the, the remaining 20%. Yeah. Well, I would love to uh, have another episode with you two years from now where we uh, discuss how to uh, Boulder's best strategy for solving the remaining 20%. Wouldn't that be yeah. amazing? Well, I will spend the next two years work doing my part to see if I can okay. uh, you know, improve Boulder's systems for unhoused people. Well, thank you for your service, Dan, and uh, for educating me on a little bit about uh, Boulder politics and the history around this issue. So thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. You bet. Gonna find me a residential pedestrian district where I can gracefully grow older. Gonna spend my remaining years sharing Boulder. Thank you for listening to Sharing Boulder. Please support the podcast by sharing it with your friends and neighbors. You can contact me at linktree.com slash philipogren, which you can find by visiting sharingboulder.us, where you can also find show notes and previous episodes. This episode of Sharing Boulder was produced and edited by Philip Ogren. The music was created by Nathaniel Ogren and Sack Lunch. Keep sharing, Boulder. <laughs>